on your part. Here we go. Welcome to the On Track and Field podcast. I'm your host, JT Ayers. And all things track and field related, go to ontrackandfield.com where you can find equipment and other great things. You need to go to this website and just see what they have to offer because they're going to hook you up. They hook me up. I'm a head coach. I go there to get the best of the best so my kids have the best opportunity to succeed. And that includes everything you need for track and field. And there's so much. Um, Let's just talk about the blocks. Let's talk about towing systems. Let's talk about ramps that you need your kids to go off or for high jump and long jump and triple jump. They have it and they will get it to you. And I'm so pleased to be sponsored and work with them. So on trackandfield.com. Okay. So you're in for a treat because this is going to be something that I've never heard being done before. And this came literally from having a podcast earlier this last year with coach Ernie Clark um, at a San Jose state. And Bob Thernhofer in New Mexico, two coaches of the year, uh, extraordinary. The guys travel all over the place talking about what we're going to talk about today. But we're going to, in a tight 20 to 25 minutes, we're going to try our best. What if we had a podcast where we just talked about our favorite workouts? Now, this is going to be something that you're going to want to go get a pen and paper for. You're going to want to write down some notes and you're going to start looking at these things because these are workouts that we love. And yeah, of course that changes, but these are workouts for the hundred, the 200 and the 400, where you can sit back and go, that's a great idea. I'm going to try that out. That's every clinic you've ever gone to. That's what you want. Well, this podcast is going to give you what you want. So we're going to start right off the bat with Bob Thernhofer. Let's talk about the hundred meter dash. Bob, walk us through. What is your favorite hundred meter dash workout at a practice? Absolutely, JT. Really, really great to be on with you and Ernie here. Uh, it's a great idea for a podcast. So, so yeah, let's dive in. Um, yeah, I think one of my favorite workouts for the hundred specifically, uh, I could get, you know, I was thinking about like I could get into really hyper specific stuff during in season. But uh, I, when you say favorite workout, I really love it. It's I'm going to place this kind of like mid fall. So preseason training. Um, probably October, November kind of range. And on usually on a Monday, we're doing a lot of acceleration work, probably like a lot of programs. Um, but I really love uh, a full acceleration day, uh, kind of as we get mid preseason, uh, mid fall. Um, and so typically, we would start these types of days off uh, with some weighted standing long jumps. So uh, probably have individual prescribed weights for the athletes, uh, put the weight vest on them, probably have them do three to four with the weight vest, three to four without, get a little potentiation effect. Uh, and then the second activity we would get into, um, I've become sort of a student over the last five years of Franz Bosch. I was fortunate to spend a week with him in person in 2018. So I've adopted a lot of his training ideas, not wholly, but in many ways. And so we get into some hip lock progressions just to get uh, some hip lock activities kind of in the system before we sprint. Um, uh, and so, yeah, we do this, the standing long jumps, hip lock, and then we, I'd have them spike up and we probably hit a couple like 10 meter tape excels. Everyone would have their individually prescribed lane. Um, and I don't know, three, four five until they feel like they're ready to go from three point. Um, and then we get into the, the, the main course of the workout, which would be a complex of sleds and unresisted accelerations. Um, and probably by like mid to late fall, 
I'm, I'm likely doing one sled and one unresisted acceleration, and that would be a set. Um, and so, and then the total volume would probably be, it could be as low as like 250 meters total for really elite athletes. Uh, for some athletes, it could be up to 500 meters total. Um, the weights on the sleds will be individually prescribed by that time of year. We're probably have built up, uh, increased the weight incrementally on the sled. Uh, but by mid to late fall, I'm probably decreasing the weight of the sled a little bit and extending the length of the sled sprints. Um, and then on the unresisted excels, we're probably in the 30 meter range. I love 30 meter sprints. I feel like you know, when you're talking like a four second sprint or so, you're kind of going through all the motions of acceleration and really refining the angles and the push and the projection of the hips. Um, so I, I really like that 30 meter. Uh, we might be going up to 35 to 40 meter at this time, just depends on the athlete. Um, and then to finish with, I'll probably uh, return back to some of that coordination Franz Bosch type work and we but we'd be emphasizing ankle stiffness after the sprinting is complete um, one of my favorite ones is called acceleration switches where basically they have a water bag on their shoulders they have hit a crouch position lean forward slightly and then they just do a quick one and then hold the position on the ball of their foot to hold the position on the ball of their foot so you get a little instability with the water bag and then you're really isolating your focus on ankle stiffness and then last thing we do on the track would probably be some sort of shot put throw underhand forward overhead back something of that nature most likely measuring it at this time of year it's probably a little on the heavier side if it's a, with a med ball and then it'll get lighter as the season goes on um do you want me to talk about the weight room or should i call it there Called there. Uh, okay. Weight room could be another podcast another Got time. Sure. Um, this is going to be a little difficult because the hundred, especially starting with the hundred, we're going to have a lot of overlap. Um, it might yeah. get a little more interesting and creative when we get to the two and the four. Um, so bear with us, dear listener. But um, let me go next for the hundred. And there's something Bob said, and maybe if you're taking notes, progression is that unsung hero in sprints. And if you're able to sit down and, and categorize and classify how a progression is going to work over a set period of time, you're going to be really, really successful in that. You know what? That's where a lot of fun of sprint training becomes because you can get, you can experiment and you can observe and report and test some theories. Um, I'm not going to do too much because I love what Bob had to say. Uh, Vince Anderson has an acceleration ladder. I love that. I love the fact because my athletes, I have a wide, wide range at the high school level. I put tape down for 40 to 50 meters in lanes one through nine, and they're all different areas. And so I can send kids off with trying to um, teach them the acceleration with Vince Anderson's you know, cues. And I can get my iPad out and videotape them in slow-mo with their angles, shin angles at the beginning, push where they're supposed to be. Typically, I find athletes using uh, an acceleration ladder about 25 to 30, they're behind where they could be or should be, and that's because they stopped pushing. So having tape down on the track and even videotaping them really helps. Um, so yeah, a good 100-meter workout for me, acceleration, obviously, with the Vince Anderson acceleration ladder. I like to also pair it sometimes with some wickets, um, lots of repeats. 
50 meters down of wickets, all based on their trochander. I have my wicket spacing is nine without wickets, just telling them where their feet should be to help them with that rhythm. And then they progress up in intensity as time goes on. They learn rhythm. They learn how to run. They learn how to get tall. They learn how to push down. And I think a lot of the hundred that last 20 meters or even 10 meters of that race sometimes is won or lost based on maintaining form and applying, you know, force to the ground. Um, so for me, mine's a little shorter than yours, Bob, because you already said a lot of things I like to do, but working on acceleration, but having some kind of visual cue for that and wickets, which are teaching athletes to maintain form for a long period of time. Um, all right, Ernie, let's wrap up the hundred with you, man. Okay. I'll go through quick too, because some of it, um, parallels to Bob. I like to start, uh, with some sort of warm-up that has a lot to do with, uh, producing power emphasis, finishing through the glutes. So we'll say in the warm-up, there's going to be some glute activation. And I always on a kind of a hundred meter short sprint type of explosive day, we always do, um, bounds as part of our warm-up. And my bounds look different than a lot of programs bounds. I make them finish with a really long straight leg, trying to get almost no knee bend. It's a, it's a method I picked up from a guy named Joseph Coyne a few years back, but it really creates a lot of um, emphasis on the activation and contraction of the glute. So that's mixed in. I love to do things with short sprinters, similar to Bob with, some very short um, resist starts. Now, I've never been in a program that's had a bunch of sleds ever in 22 years. So a lot of our resistance is actually manual resistance with a partner, but we'll do resist starts, maybe 15 meters up to three of those. And then we start to do short block sets, block starts without resistance. I might do something like two times 10 and really focus on how much push they can get per step trying to cover ground that's the main focus of that part then we might do two times 25 two times 30 and then i always end off those types of days with a at least two to three reps that's going to be something more towards 60 meters we may actually do from a standing start still with a with an acceleration emphasis but we, we might run three times 50 or a 40, 50, 60, something like that, where we transition and then hit some really high levels of max velocity to finish the day. I like to finish fast days fast. I don't care if it's a, a 60 meter specialist or a 400 meter specialist. I'm going to end with that type of thing. Well said. Um, I like that a lot, actually. Um, I like the idea of you guys all kind of affirm something that I like to believe is this loaded and unloaded aspect. Yeah. Um, that, that dichotomy between those two things, the athletes, man, sometimes their fastest acceleration is after too loaded and they right. hop off. Well, and what Bob said too, increase, increase the load over time and then decrease it again. Yeah. I found that, uh, uh, one little quick tidbit before I moved on. Uh, I mean, I worked with the 1080 when I was at Loyola for, you know, last what, four or five years or whatever it was. And I, uh, I typically found on the reps on the 1080, at least it was usually around the sixth or seventh rep uh, of whatever the exercise was, was typically the best rep. So usually it does take some time to really get that to settle in. Right. Yeah. Right. 
which further emphasizes this idea that when you're doing, if you're going to run a hundred meter dash, your first, second, or even third times out of the blocks is not when you're racing. Nope. Like you yeah. need to, your warm up is going to have a lot of starts and it, yeah. it needs to. It needs to, yep. It I'm needs honest. to. Whether they do it or not, it need that needs to. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move on to the 200 meters. Now, the 200 meters, I'm going to tell you from a high school perspective, not taught. And you're going to see this all over the place. It's a very interesting uh, event because you're going to have the 100 and you're going to have the four, but who really trains for the two? Unless you're USA at World's Championships because <laughs> all those guys are 200 meter specialists, basically. Um, I'll start with the two. So the 200 meter, um, I use a lot of cones. I love this workout and it's going to take a lot of cones. And this is why, uh, I'll put cones at the 40 meter mark, um, on the turn. And then I'll go put cones at the 80 meter mark and then at the 120, and then at the 160. So they're lined up down the whole track. And the idea is this, we need to, I need to teach how to run this event in our training. And so what happens is zero to 40, that is our acceleration transition. Um, from 40 to 80, I use the word run tall. Sometimes I will say something like I do with the four, where I say, carry your speed. Uh, however, that takes a l- many years to max, like to kind of master this idea of carrying your speed. Cause most athletes want to slow down, which is not what we want. So they will run tall, run tall. And then from 80, which to 120, which on our track and most tracks is basically where the anchor is going to set up in the four by one. There's a little or big triangle there. I use the word hammer and I'm you typically at a dual meet or at a track meet that I'm hosting. I will stand there and just yell hammer, hammer, hammer. And the idea is that this is where the kids or the athletes are going to not necessarily reaccelerate, but they're going to hammer their hands back and forth past their hips. They're going to really try to emphasize this is where they're going to win their race. This is where they're going to pull ahead. This is where they're going to take off. Um, and then from 120 to six to 160, uh, this is where they carry that speed. They're relaxed, they're focused, and they're running fast. So we can do multiple reps of this. Uh, depending on what I'm trying to do with the workouts, there's two things. One, we can just call that 160 a great workout, walk on back. We're going to give you six to eight minute recovery. We're going to do it again. I may even give them a little longer recovery if uh, I really want them and I'm trying to free lap certain parts of the race. Uh, now there's this part that every once in a while I'll do is I like to kind of turn it into more of a lactic workout. So they will run basically a 160, utilizing each part of this race, and then they will slow down, take their time slowing down. Always want to teach deceleration. They will walk the turn and then I time them for a 60. And I put free lap cones down and they have to run as hard as they can. So essentially what they're doing is they're running a 160 slowing down. They get about a three minute recovery and they have to come back really, really hard. Three minute recovery is basically how long it takes to walk. And then depending on how many reps we're trying to do and what I want depends on how long recovery between sets. So this workout for the 200 has worked really, really well for us because we're teaching the race while we train, you know, you're always trying to kill 10,000 birds with one stone, right? So this is what we're trying to do. So that is a 200 workout that I like to utilize and my hundred guys and my 400 guys will do this because all of them are going to be 200 meter guys too. Um, Ernie, let's go with you next. Since we're snaking through the order, what's something that you like to do with the 200 meters? Well, the interesting part is if you're, if you're going to be a sprinter for me, I know 
again, I don't care if you range 60, like you're a 60 meter specialist or 400 meter specialist, you're going to do some very similar things except on a longer, like tempo ish type day. So really a 200 meter athlete's going to do all the stuff that we just talked about, except instead of doing like the three times 60 or three times 50 or something like that, I'll actually make the end of their day longer. And I really like to work around the 150 range because you, you mentioned even going to 40 meters, you've got to come because that's their acceleration. Well, if I work on 150s and I really get better at 150, I'm really working at being a great 200 runner because that first 40 to 50 meters, you can really emphasize all the block work and the acceleration, the power output and all that stuff. We're just dealing with like, that's my ATP. So they might do all the, not might, they will do all of the same warm up. They'll do the block starts, the short reps, and then we'll go over to something like uh, 150, a 130, and a 110, or we might do three times 150. And we're going to hit those pretty hard. We're going to get in good stance and we're going to run fast, run tall, run springy, bouncy, and work on flying to the finish. Now, two of those is not too hard, but three of those is really, really difficult. But I've found if I can get them to master two, And then as we get closer to the end of the season with about six minutes rest, if I can get them to hit three really fast 150s to end their day, that they're going to end up running really fast. Okay. And the whole point is progress. So, you know, I'll just make up a situation. If I have a guy that runs um, 16.2, you know, kind of as their average in the 150s, that's fine. But if he can bring that average down over the course of the season, then I can get excited. And it does them no good, by the way, to hit one fast, one medium, one slow. They've got to be able to repeat it because that's essentially what you have to be able to do as a 200 runner and a 400 runner is you got to be able to sprint, hold form, um, and keep it rolling no matter how you feel. Yeah. And again, you're looking at six minutes rest on those. Okay. Perfect. Um, again, Ernie, you, I've seen your PowerPoints. You're a master of progression, you know, and the way that you kind of sit down and, and walk your athletes through what that spreadsheet looks like, your calendar looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, perfect. Okay. Uh, 200 Bob in New Mexico. What's the 200 look like? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm going to, I feel like at, at New Mexico this past year, we we're really like a 400 squad. Although I think that might alter a little bit this upcoming year. So I'm actually going to rewind to my final year at Loyola in 2021 during the the kind of COVID reduced season. I think we had about 10 weeks of total training with virtually no fall. So, um, so I thought like we typically on Tuesdays were our speed endurance days. So now I'm kind of focusing on April, May, kind of late in the outdoor season. Uh, And we would go to a a park district track, Uh, but uh, so on Tuesdays, we become our speed endurance days. And that's when we're doing very hyper-specific race modeling type work, pretty similar to what you mentioned, JT. So uh, we're going to probably start off with some sort of a plyometric, a hurdle hop, maybe just to kind of get the stimulant, wake the nervous system up. Uh, we'll get into some coordination work, uh, probably ankle stiffness type stuff, but it'll be more 
vertical oriented. I had mentioned the Excel switches earlier, uh, but we would do more max V type uh, ankle stiffness type work where you're upright. Um, and if a listener wants to know what that is, just shoot me an email or message me. Um, and then we're going to get into the 200 race modeling stuff. So we're probably going to start off with doing some solo block work, uh, 10 meters from the 200 start. I'll put the tape lines down. I use Vince Anderson's measurements as well. Um, I'll put the tape lines down just to kind of get the angle right for the first 10 meters, maybe do three, four, five of those kind of get the, the rhythm down. Uh, and then maybe we'll hit a couple competitive starts where I line the guys up in their, in a, in different lanes and I'll start them on command just to get the stimulus of reacting to the gun. Um, uh, and then at that point, I think we're ready. And then we get into, uh, I call it sprint, full sprint, speed endurance or sprint, full sprint race modeling. Uh, the first time we'll do it probably in, probably in March or something might be like 90 meters. And then a week or two later, 110, 120, 130 and so on and so forth. So it's a gradual methodical progression. Uh, but my favorite is when we get up to 180, cause that's kind of where we cap it off at. Um, and when we do the 180, we're probably doing two to three total reps, 12, 15 minutes in between. I don't really care how long it takes in between. They can take 30 minutes if they want. Um, and what I'll do is like, I'll start the, like maybe week one, we'll do something like, okay, it's the 70 meter, 30 meter float, 80 meter uh, to the finish. And I'll hand time it. Uh, and then the progression of the 180, since that's kind of where we cap off the distance of our, our speed endurance work for the 200 specifically is I'll condense the float segment. Um, so it goes from a 30 meter float segment to maybe a 25 meter float segment to a 20 meter float segment to a 15 meter float segment. And so we're working the 180s each week, but the nature of the sprint alters and evolves over time. Right. Um, and yeah, we're just doing two to three reps. Usually I'll do it individually um, just so I can watch it. Uh, if I have access to timing gates, which at UNM I, I did not this year, but hopefully I will this year, uh, I would sometimes I'd put uh, timing gates on the curve and get the what that 30 meter segment uh that starts off as a float but then eventually gets condensed see what that's like um and so yeah that was i that was definitely always a real uh big one for me i remember uh back in april we, i had a guy that he was like a night he was hitting 19 over and over again for that that 180 195 19.3 19.4 19.6 i had another uh, guy that was like 20 flat 20 flat 19.8 20.2 and then, like, I remember after we did it a couple weeks, the the 19.5 guy ran 18.5 just out of nowhere. And then two weeks later, he set the school record, which still stands to this day at that school. Um, and so I felt like that was a nice, nice, neat progression. And we always after the speed endurance is done, we would finish with depth jumps um, at that that particular day when uh, the guy ran 18.5, he was, we were doing 30, 30 inch box onto 30 inch box. And I would, I would time the ground contact on it uh, just using coach's eye. So it's not perfect. You know, there's some human error there for sure, but you got, you can use the dial to kind of get the ground contact on it. And we would target being under 0 0.20, um, which at that time he was, I think he was like 0.16 or 0.15. So he was really, really springy. 
Um, and then finish probably with a vertical med ball throw since it's more vertical sprinting, vertical med ball throw. And um, that might throw some isometrics in there. Sometimes I like doing isometrics on days that we do speed endurance, but isometrics that match the time under tension of the actual sprint. So 20 second isometric, maybe a, whether it be for the core or, or a, a squat hold or something like that, I think kind of gives a nice tidy stimulus, if you will. Yep. Yeah. So listener, you're hearing a few things. You're hearing quality over quantity. Um, that's what you're getting from all of us. And that's because especially these two, they're good at coaching. And so maybe, maybe think about the amount of reps you do. You can always tell a good sprint coach by how much, uh, setup they're doing before the practice. They're always out there by themselves with cones walking around. I mean, there's, that's the art of it. And I don't know about you guys. It's really a therapeutic for me. I love being out there kind of putting out a workout, figuring out what it should look like. Um, JT, I think, uh, wait, you don't like doing 10 mile runs for the 200. No, you mile Mondays, you know, whatever. Uh, I'm a big knees over toes guy like you, Bob. So just, you know, <laughs> there you go. Uh, and lastly, with the 200, all of us said it in this, in a different way, but teach the turn, teach your athletes how to run turns. Mm-hmm. Flies are awesome. We're all, we all do flies. Maybe every once in a while, put some flies on that turn. You know, you got to teach it. Okay. Uh, let's just continue on 400. As you're going to, we're all going to be, it's going to look a little different as the more meters of our race and our training, you know, this race is going to get a little more creative. I love training kids for a four. I know you two do as well. Um, Ernie, let's start with you. 400 meters, San Jose state. What does it look like? Well, I think it's important to understand that in my brain, if I want somebody fast, they got to be fast. And I mean, again, all the way to 400 meters. So the things that we just talked about are the exact things that they're going to do on straight up speed days. So they're still going to run things like 150s. And I love what Bob just talked about getting up to 180 because I actually do the same thing. We'll progress that clump of 150s all the way up to 180s and not, not further. And the 400 people will do those types of things, but I'm going to shift on purpose because I know this will be more fun for people that train 400, 400 meter runners and 300 hurdlers and 400 hurdlers and things like that. But one of my favorite, so the reason I'm saying all that is because I'm shifting the focus. When I talk about this race, these are workouts specifically designed to help athletes finish the four like they need to finish. And I'm not a big, I'm not somebody who enjoys like um, 12 times 300. And I don't give a shit how much, or I don't care how much rest you give them. Like they're going to end up jogging by the end if you do that. I'm not big into 10 times 400 and things like that. They're going to end up jogging. I want to get them to paces that they need to hit to finish the race in a goal time. So the first thing I need to know is what do I believe they can run or what's the goal? And I'm, I'm going to know that number. Okay. Uh, when I was young, we just used to run, you know, we're going to do eight times 200. We're going to, we either just going to run them or we're going to hit some time I made up because that's what some other coach did (laughs) much more. It's much more thought out now. Um, everything that I do, um, in these finished workouts are to make the athlete fatigued and then make them hit 
specifically 200 times they need to hit to finish the 200 in their, in their goal time. So one of the workouts that I love that athletes end up loving after their career is over is progressive 200s. And this comes from um, a legend coach that coaches great mid distance runners. and, And of course I changed it for what we do, but it's, you run a 200 at a target time that's slow, you run a 200 at a target time that's medium, and then you have to hit a pace time. And, and I always use the example for a female um, 400 runner. I think it's pretty easy to understand. If you want a, a female to run a 57 second 400, they have to go out at 27 and they got to come back in 30. That's going to make them a 57 second person. So their last rep, they have to hit 30. Okay. And we're going to do two or three sets of that workout. I might start the, I always work in blocks of fours with workouts. So we might do that for four weeks. The first week, you know, let's just say it's on a Monday. They might do something like, and I'm making this up on the fly. They might have to cruise a 36 second cruise of a 33, 34, and then bust that 30. And these might have two minutes rest, but next week they're going to have a minute and a half rest. The next week they're going to have a minute 15 or a minute rest. If I feel like they're ready for it, we're going to do full recovery between the sets. Two sets is really freaking hard. Three sets has only been for my absolute best people that could handle it. Uh, And that's been very few people. That's the Trevor Bassett's. That's the miles Pringles that ended up running uh, low 45 and, and we're able to uh, split 44 seconds on the relay. But um, that's the workout. Then one of the things that I think that's been super successful for me is they do some sort of jump after the workout. So they might do something like um, three minutes after the last rep, I might put them all together in a circle my daughter has entered the room. She sounds like she likes the workout. (laughs) They may have to do like um, 20 squat jumps on my command. And they they land in a down position on up command. They explode up. And I want them to learn to produce power and have core stability and be able to control their body when they're in a total fatigue state. It's not a scientific thing. It's a mental thing. Then we, then we take another, then we'll take, you know, up to 10 minutes. Usually I only give them about six, but we'll take up to 10 minutes, get a drink, walk, slow down the heart rate. And then we will do three times 20 to 30 meters of resisted, very, very light resisted sprints. I want them again to learn to produce power, have, um, I want them to have core stability. I want them to have speed off the ground, even though they're tired. I think it's absolute key to a 400 meter runner to keep it together and produce speed and power while they're fatigued. So they'll do two or three of those to end their day. And I think that that's been very successful in helping our people um, finish, just finish that, uh, that run. And I've got two or three other ways to do that, but that's the overall concept. That's awesome. Well said, man. Um, all right. So Bob, mm-hmm. 400 with you. Yeah. Um, walk us through something that you like doing with your athletes. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I think uh, Ernie hit a, on a big thing that I, I'll, I'm going to mention here. 
um, in terms of sustained power output under fatigue. I think that's a that's a huge factor in the 400, especially building reactivity and 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 power development. I think in the 400 is one of the most overlooked elements of that event that I kind of like try to exploit as far as I can. Um, but yeah, no, I think with favorite workouts for the 400 and being a speed-based kind of coach, um, I'm going to skip over like tempo progressions and, and, you know, Excel and absolute speed development, those types of things, which I do with all the 400 runners for sure. Um, but yeah, I think I'm going to get into something kind of similar to what I mentioned in the 200, because once again, you asked for favorite workouts. So, right. uh, yeah, I've got, I, I kind of refer to as grooving a faster race model. Uh, so yeah, we're probably talking about like, whether it be kind of in the meat of the indoor season, uh, in fe- like through all of February or like into like middle, late outdoor April through May. Um, that's when we're going to be doing this type of stuff, probably most likely on a Tuesday. Um, so yeah, starting off, we're probably, uh, like I typically start off, uh, we're going to either work some, some hip function stuff or some ankle stiffness just to kind of prep the body. Uh, and then we're going to get into some 10 meter blocks, uh, on their own, get a few reps on their own, might put the tape lines out, just get a few reps in, get comfortable, make adjustments. I'll watch a few, give them a little feedback. Uh, then some 10 meter blocks with a command on the start to get used to reacting to the gun and they'll go together. Yeah, you can uh, fire guns in New Mexico. That's totally fine. <laughs> this is a gun right here. This oh, okay. Is- so, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, no. Um, and then we'll, we'll get, a uh, we'll do a We'll do a, maybe like two or three competitive blocks out to either 30 or 50 meters. Uh, one of the two just kind of depends on time of year, how they're feeling, um, you know, a lot of a variety of factors, just so they can work the curve against each other a little bit. And I'm also trying to tease them to get out harder. I think that's a big part of 400 running is like training athletes to be more a bit more aggressive. Obviously, you don't want them to PR through the 200, right? I get that. But I think it's a bigger fault to be too conservative in the first 200. Um, and so I'm always trying to find ways, whether it be direct or indirect to get them to get out harder. And I think doing a few competitive, whether it be 30 or 50 meter starts kind of coaxes that out of them. If that makes sense. Uh, cause they're competing and it's a shorter distance and then it kind of primes them to do that. Um, and then. Yeah. And then we're going to get into uh, definitely my favorite thing to do, which I just call it race modeling. It's essentially speed endurance work. Um, Indoor, we mostly went individually because uh, I just was a little scared of them like colliding with each other, uh, crossing the 200 mark. Although we did do one time against each other and I almost had a heart attack. Uh, (laughs) But outdoors, you can go together because you stay in your lane. Um, But basically what we do is we just work the first whether it be a 160 or 170 or 180 or 220, 230, 280, 270, 280, 90. Uh, we went, we worked our way all up to all the way up to 310 meters was where we kept it off the week of outdoor conference on Tuesday. That was the last time we did it. Um, and it's basically running at a 400 pace that's beyond your PR. So like with the, our 245 guys, like I was, trying to get them to run what would 
basically equate to a 44 pace to the 310 mark. Um, and I would time it. Usually I'd time from the 20 meter start to the whatever the end of the rep is. And we would try to be as close to, we wouldn't get here, but generally speaking, as close to one second per 10 meters as possible, which is very unrealistic. Uh, but, you know, as if you can be close, then you're definitely well on 44 pace. Um, and so that's how we do it. Uh, indoors, typically we would do the rep. I think indoors we left off at maybe 270. I'd have to look at the notes. And then what I do is I give them about a 15 minute rest. And then I'd line them up together and they do a 250 to the finish. So it's like you're working the first portion hmm. and then you're working the, the latter portions of the race. And, and then if they did both those reps, we would usually just finish with uh, probably like some sort of isometrics that match the time under tension of, uh, of the 400. So, you know, 45 second to a minute type isometric core work a wall sit to trap the lactic acid or, you know, something of that nature. Um, however, later in the outdoor season, they're running so obnoxiously fast. I was scared to like give them that additional 250. So we literally, we usually would just, you know, do all the box stuff, do the speed endurance rep. And if they kind of nailed the time, which they did, I think every time I, I was just kind of like, all right, I'm, I don't, I don't want to overdo it here. And so then instead of doing uh, the additional 250, we did, uh, we focused on doing more depth jumps. And so we worked our way up the 32 inch box on the 32 inch box. I would time the ground contact. And so long as they sustain 0.20 or less, then I would just have them keep going. And then as soon as it like the ground contact slowed down to like 0.22 or so, done. Yeah, you knew and, when to shut it down. That's really smart. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's what I mean, like sustained power output, like Ernie had mentioned, I think mm -hmm. I'm kind of looking at it, maybe not the same way, but I think yeah, topically the same way. Yep. Um, and then, yeah. And then we finish off with a vertical med ball throw since it's just like a total body coordinative explosive activity. Um, sometimes I would do overhead back and I would measure it just to see what they can produce after fatigue, you know, like that. Uh, so that'd be another way of looking at it. But that that was my favorite workout of this past season was kind of working that and conditioning them to come through in 21 mid to low and not be afraid to do it. You know, mm -hmm. and when you do that over the course of a whole year, it's kind of they don't know how else to do it. That's the only way they know how to do it, you know. And so um, so I thought that that was really helpful. Yeah. I like throwing medicine balls farther than the kids and then being like, try to hit that, you know, uh -huh. and I'm, I'm throwing 100% just triceps. There's no legs at all with mine. <laughs> uh, okay. So this mental toughness, Bob and Ernie, you guys both talked about teaching it and getting your kids, your athletes in a place where they mentally can win the workout, can win the event because everyone's feeling fatigue, but the one that can push through is the one that's typically going to win. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So let me, let me go in a different direction. Sometimes I like breaking up the 400, you know, and I'm teaching, trying to like, again, earlier, I'm trying to teach as much as I can killing 10,000 birds with one stone. So here's a workout that we ran and I wrote down some notes. We ran a couple times early season and it is a tough one. Um, we'll do a 300 and then I'll give them a 60 second break and then we'll do a 120. 
I am with the stopwatch. I'm getting their first 200 of that three. Every athlete, especially the upper level varsity kids know what their target time should be. And then the first thing they ask when they walk over is they say, what, what was my mark? What was my 200? Cause they can start categorizing and figuring out, well, if that's a point two to three difference between my first two, my second two, what, where am I? And it's nice. You write those things down. So we'll do a 360 second break, a 120, and then they get a full recovery, 10, 15. Um, I love when my kids walk over and go, coach, if you give me two extra minutes, I'll give you the best rep of my life. I'm like, okay, yeah. sure. Go for it. I believe you. So then we'll, um, I'll bring it down a little bit. We'll do a 250, 60 second break, but then we'll do either a 120 or a 150. And again, that first 250, I'm getting their first 200. So they're a little fatigued and tired, but they need to get to that. They get to get used to the idea of getting to a, the first part of their race that's meaningful for them, an individual. Um, and then they get, again, full recovery. They come back. And this is where it gets a little stupid for me is we play something called sheeps and wolves. So I'll send in lane one or lane two, I'll send a freshman out. I go, go. And then my wolves are in lanes two, three, four, five, six, and I'll wait. And I'll just, and for some reason, God has gifted me with the ability to make it so perfect that they're all finishing very close to the end. So now my varsity level athletes are getting used to the idea of tracking down somebody. Um, they're not freaking out in the first 100 they're you know they're not blowing it out too early they're systematically using their speed allocating it correctly so they can run fast for a long time sometimes i'll measure it i'll put some you know time down put some cones down i'll say hey it's a 200 you're fatigued you're tired let's see just for the heck of it what your last flying 100 is and the only reason we do that is because when you time kids you keep them accountable they tend to run a little harder they tend to run a little faster because now they're mm -hmm. comparing their marks to with one another and when your varsity stud is in the corner and he's dying and some freshman ran better than him, hey, you know what? That's good. That's good for everybody. So I, I will look down and, and I'll add up with a workout like this how many total volume of meters we've done. Uh, I, tr I tend to not go over 1,200 meters in a workout like this. Uh, I, again, quality over quantity. But I like the idea of breaking it up with this type of lactic stacked workout. Um, and then afterwards we'll do some, yeah, medicine balls. We'll do, we'll definitely, I may even have them do just some like bounce fire speed drills, um, where they're fatigued. I'm like, all right, now we're doing right leg over and over and over again. We're doing left leg over and over and over again. They're getting used to using their bodies mechanically correctly. So that helps them in every race. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, they're tired and fatigued. And so now we're trying to get these kids to run as fast as they possibly can when they feel that way. Uh, that's good. And that's, that helps these kids run better. So it helps with the mental. Um, okay. Let me end with this. Everything we said, we tried to keep it a, a tight 20, 25. We failed because there was so much good that we needed to tell you dear listener, but let's, let's just warn you and caution you with this. Every workout we just said, everything you might've written down, it's up to you the day of to figure out what's good for your athletes. Uh, the best sprint coaches in the world are the ones that are able to identify the athletes that need to be done, shut down for the day. The ones that need to be pushed a little harder. The ones that are like, I constantly been doing that. And my athletes and my culture is conditioned enough to know that if coach shuts me down, it's not because of me personally, it's because my body said, that's all I got today. And so um, that's your job. 
coach. You know, that's your job to figure out what is best the day of some, most of the time I've heard Ernie say this in uh, some clinics I've heard him speak at. Sometimes you don't finish the workout you wrote down and that's smart. Yeah. Any lasting thoughts guys? Yeah. I think on that note, uh, I think that's a great point. Like I think as a coach, you have to plan really well. I think that's critical. You have to think about progressions of things, but like for me, every day I show up, I always have about four different avenues or four different paths to the day could go as well, depending on, okay, if this happens, then I'm going to go this route. If this happens, I'll go this route instead. And so, you know, I think you should plan, you plan very effectively, but you have to be very flexible on each day and you have to be very observant and, and watching the athletes and taking in the, the data and, and just watching them as well. So I think that it's that balance of planning, copious planning and, and immense flexibility um, is, is, a, is a great way to put it, JT. I like that. Yep. Yeah. And I'll say, one, I think it's really important that everything that we just talked about had absolute purpose. None of us just talked about a workout just to do the workout. Mm-hmm. There was some sort of, there's some sort of connection somehow, some way to the race. And I think that that's key. I think the second thing is that we really didn't do a good job talking about, because I have a feeling all three of us do it all the time without thinking about it, is we're constantly evaluating form, posture, technique. um, And that plays a part. Running fast doesn't help you if if you run with really bad posture and really bad mechanics. That's going to catch up and with you at some point in terms of injury, or it's just going to stop you from reaching potential. So coaching that aspect, no matter how hard the workout is, or no matter how fast they are, doesn't matter if they're your fastest person, if they look like crap doing it, you're always coaching that avenue as well. It's not just the written workout. Let's end with that. That was really, really well said. Um, I can't thank you two enough for coming on here. Um, uh, obviously there's no secret sauce, right? There's none of us have ever, uh, sat down and said, this workout will make every person, every human being the best ever. And I'm never going to share it. That doesn't exist. We do things very similarly because, um, we've researched it and found that it works best. So thank you, coach Clark, coach Thernhofer, San Jose state, thank you guys. new thank Mexico. You, you guys, um, I know a lot of the guys that Ernie's been uh, and girls that you've been in California recruiting. So I'm excited to see what you're going to do with them. And Bob, hopefully you can start getting out here in California and getting some athletes, but you seem to be doing Absolutely. just fine coach of the year. So <laughs> <Thank> um, <laughs> this uh, podcast is brought to you by on and relaybatons.com. Um, custom grave relay batons, uh, great gift. Also a great way to uh, do a track meet with them. They look really, really good. Check them out. Um, simply faster is a great place to go find stuff by coach Clark and coach Thernhofer. Um, they're all over the internet. These guys have, are not shy about helping and mentoring the next generation of great sprint coaches. Their athletes are very blessed to have them. I'm blessed to have you guys on here. And I know you listener listening, you wrote down a lot of good workouts, so go for it and reach out to these guys on social media. Um, we'll put you guys' credentials in the show notes, but Without further ado, I'm just going to break it off to our CEO of On Track and Field, Steve. 
Take us away. Thanks to San Jose State's coach, Ernie Clark, New Mexico's coach, Bob Thernhofer, and our host, JT Ayers Triceps, for joining us on this week's On Track and Field podcast. The On Track and Field podcast is powered by RelayBatons.com, custom engraved Relay Batons, water bottles and tumblers, and by OnTrackAndField.com, your number one source for all things track and field and cross-country related. And save up to 15% when you use the word Track Talk at checkout. And make sure to follow us on our socials at on track, the letter and field at on track and field.